everyone, and welcome to Picture the Scene podcast, hosted by me, Andrew. And me, Rachel. We are a true crime podcast, so listener caution is always advised. Now, before we go any further, I want to give a huge thanks to Kristen Montgomery and Andrea Davis, who became our newest Patreon supporters. So thank you to you both, and we hope to get some content up there before the end of October. Woo! Thank you! Yes, it's uh, it's awesome. Three people now. Uh, so if, if you'd also like to become a supporter of ours, you can do so for less than the price of a cup of tea or coffee. The link is in our, link to our Patreon can be found in our show notes, along with the links to all of our social medias. So why not buy us a coffee? Although don't buy us a coffee because that's an actual company and we don't, we're not with buyers a coffee. Give us a quid on Patreon. <laughs> and at the moment, thanks to the British politicians, the, the British pound is really weak. So if you're not from the UK, it'd be even cheaper for you. There you go. What What more could you want, guys? Really cheap subscription to a great pod. Exactly. So enough selling now. Rachel, how have you been? What's new? I've been really good, thanks. Um, since we last recorded, um, but I am struggling a bit today because I had some, I had a filling at the dentist, so I'm feeling a bit sorry for myself. Hopefully, you can't tell any difference. Uh, you can't hear any difference in in my speech, but uh, yeah, currently got half a numb mouth. So yeah. Um... People, you can't see this, but <laughs> Rachel is dribbling all over a keyboard. <laughs> lies, lies. So, Rachel, some say it's uh, what is the meaning of life, the universe and everything, that that is the most important question to ask. But we all know the answer to that is 42. <laughs> but do you get that, Rachel, by the way? No. Okay, no. Doug- Douglas Adams. But we all, But we also know the most important question in life is this. Are you ready for some true crime? I am, Andrew. I am. So, if it's safe for you all to do so, I'd like you to relax. Close your eyes and picture the scene. I'd like to take us back to the 1st of May, 1995, to the village of Balasala on the Isle of Man. Now, the Isle of Man is a small island in the Irish Sea. It's located between Ireland and Great Britain. It is a self-governing British Crown dependency, which means that while it's not governed by the United Kingdom, the UK is still responsible for its military defence. And King Charles III holds the title of the Lord of Man. An interesting fact about the location is that it was the first national legislative body in the world to give women a right to vote in 1881. Wow, go the Isle of Man. Why isn't it called the Isle of Woman? Good question. Good question. But back to the present day... It's known as being a tax haven, among other things. Oh dear, not so go the Isle of Man. As it is a small island with a small population, just over 84,000 in the 2021 census, it's not known really for being a hotbed of crime. Would you agree with that, Rachel? I think that's, yeah, it sounds like a fair um, summary. So on this particular day, the 1st of May 1995, it wasn't really a day of note to many on the island. The weather was cool, ranging between 10 and 12 degrees Celsius, which is between 50 and 54 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, I expect it was a day not many would remember, except a small few. Let me now introduce you to Marjorie Ashton. Now, on this day in 1995, Marjorie was in the twilight of her life. At the age of 72, she was well into retirement and living a simple but happy life on the island. She had moved to the island 15 years earlier, when she was 57, to be near her daughter, Carol Stevens after her husband had died in 1980. So on that day, the 1st of May, her daughter Carol visited her in her home, only to find her sadly passed away. 
Oh. Yeah, it's not a good start. So when the authorities were called, it seemed like while unfortunate, Marjorie had passed away due to natural causes. And it could not be determined what caused her death. So a post-mortem was carried out. When that was carried out 10 days later, it was actually discovered that Marjorie hadn't died of natural causes. Instead, she had been strangled to death in her home. Oh, wow. Now, the police had little or no leads to go on. They had no evidence, and the announcement that they were hunting a killer, it only garnered a few inches in some regional UK newspapers, Mm. and it was quickly forgotten about by the local Manx news outlets too. So no one really had a clue as to the motive, Rachel, or to any suspects. So the case quickly went cold. So I want to skip forward a few months, shall we, to February of 1996 and i'd like to now introduce you to a dorothy harris dorothy was also from barasala on the isle of man Uh-oh. she lived in a street called glashen terrace she was 68 years old and in 1996 and just like marjorie she was retired and living in relative peace and quiet now as sad as this may sound i've been struggling to find out much information about dorothy but on the 17th of february 1996 dorothy's home caught fire and she tragically died. Now, initially, her death was ruled as not suspicious, with the fire being labelled as not being intentionally set, and she died as a result of the fire, smoke inhalation. Pattern forming here. A pattern forming, yes. I'd like to now introduce you to Stephen Akimarelli, who was born on the 16th of March, 1978, in Nigeria. So even though he was born in Nigeria... He moved at a very young age with his uh, parents to live in the UK. So he, oh. was, a, he was a British citizen. Mm. So when his parents split up in 1988, when he was 10 years old, he moved with his mother to live in the Isle of Man. But he was largely brought up by his maternal grandmother on the island. By the time he was 11, he was noted as having issues with mental illness. And oh. I couldn't really find much detail, but... It also said that he was started committing crimes then at that age against elderly people. So he he was eleven in the eighties, and he was they identified mental illness. That's interesting, isn't it? Because um, yeah. you hear it like so often that children grow up, and it's not even until they're like middle age kind of thing that certainly if they were born in the seventies, eighties, etc., that they even come come close to diagnosis really with their mental health at least that's interesting yeah it's interesting it, there was no detail on this whatsoever so it would have been yeah. interesting to know what it was but but yeah it was uh it's interesting you're right so in 1996 after the death of Dorothy Harris Stephen decided to move to the mainland the UK and he moved to Blackpool so he quickly settled and he got himself a job as a civil servant in a benefits office but he also got himself a second job working as a barman in a fun pub called Rumours in the evening and at night time. And he settled himself in his accommodation on Cheltenham Road, which is in the North Shore area of Blackpool. So I'm going to come back to Stephen. But I want to skip forward now to 1998, Mm -hmm. to September of 1998, to be precise. And I want to introduce you to Jemima Cargill. So she was, despite being 75 years old, she still worked in a fashion because she rented out rooms to lodges in the home in uh, Corsa Street mm-hmm. in Blackpool. So in September of that year, Jemima's house tragically burnt down. And due to a lack of evidence that a fire had caused extensive damage, 
destroying the house, basically. Mm. It was deemed that Jemima had died in a fire due to smoking inhalation. Oh, dear. Yeah, so maybe a little bit of a pattern, you think, popping Mm -hmm. up here. Yeah. So let's move forward a little bit more, shall we? Just October the 30th, 1998, to be exact. And I'd like to introduce you now to Eric and Joan Boardman. Now, I know I've been skimping on the details so far, Rachel, but that's simply because they, there wasn't much out there for the previous people, which mm-hmm. is quite sad, really, that, yeah. I could ver- that I could verify anyway. There was lots of stuff out there that looked like people had made up online, but I wanted to actually give facts rather than mm-hmm. where I opinion. could rather than opinion, yeah. Yeah, right thing. But it's not the same for Eric and Joan. So Eric and Joan knew each other as children when they were young. But they were not actually romantically attached when they were younger. They both have, they both married other people. Now, neither of their marriages worked out, however. So when they were both divorced, they accidentally bumped into each other on Blackpool Promenade. Now, they quickly hit it off, not only rekindling their friendship, but with it developing into something much more than that. Oh, lovely. I know, I like stories like that. So they they were soon married. It didn't take them long to marry at all. And they were they stayed married, living happily. They both had jobs running boat trips for the tourists in Blackpool, with both of them having full boatsman licences. And they were well known within the community, both the locals and the tourists who returned frequently knew them as well. Now, they did stay happily married for 27 years until that fateful day at the end of October in 1998. So on the morning of the 30th of October, they were both at their home on Seafield Avenue in the North Shore area of Blackpool. Now, unbeknown to them, Stephen Accomarelli had broken into their home and he lay in wait, hiding, with the old couple not knowing he he was there. So when they were not in the same room together... Hang on. Yeah. Sorry. Just going to pause you there. So he's lying in wait for them. Yeah. He's not looting their houses. He's not, he's not staying there to try and... Like before they get back, he's not taking his opportunity to pounce and get what he can from the house. He's waiting for them to return home. He wasn't a thief. Wow. It's like there's a killer. Yeah, there's there's people that kill, right? Yep. And they kill because they're, they're killing someone gets them to where they need to go. Freedom or um um power, like being money. rich, power. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And then there is, like, killing to satisfy, like, an urge, right? And clearly, that, that's this guy, right? Yes, I would say so. Wow. So, yeah, he lay in wait. He was hiding with the old couple not knowing he was there. So while they were not in the same room together, that's when he struck. He strangled Joan and he killed her in their home, in their bedroom. So while she was being killed, Eric, who was 76 at the time, two years older than Joan, he had no idea what was happening in the bedroom. So while Stephen preferred to strangle his victims normally, like he did to Joan, he had fashioned himself a homemade kosh. So a kosh is a weapon, and it was in case it was needed. Now he made his kosh by taping together some batteries. Oh my God. And then placing the batteries in a sock, so it's quite similar to what they what they do in prison mm-hmm. with pool balls and socks. Yeah. Oh. So Eric had either spotted Joan or he just started to be attacked by Stephen. We don't know 
which happened first. But what we do know is that despite Stephen being 20 years old at the time, with a deadly weapon, and Eric being 76, with no weapon, Eric fought bravely against Stephen. Because at this point, he fought to try and save his wife. He had no knowledge that she was already dead. So this fight, this brave attempt to save his wife, and also to protect himself, it would later turn out to be essential. Mm -hmm. So Eric would die in this struggle. There's no happy ending to this, I'm afraid. But in his haste, Stephen toppled a wardrobe on top of the two bodies to make it look like an accident, and and he left the house. So it is believed, but it's not known for sure, now, had Eric not put up a fight, he would have strangled him, Stephen, and he would have set fire to the house, destroying evidence and making Gosh. it and making it look like an accident because of that. It's so, so it's, awful, isn't it? It's awful. It's, yes. I don't know why it's worse when it's vulnerable people who are going about their own business. He hasn't tried to steal this lady's handbag, and she's fought back, so he's given her as good as he felt he might get but oh yeah no this case oh it's awful the police believes again i've got from a tangent here the police believed that he targeted them because he um he had just seen them around the area because he lived in the same area (laughs) which is worse as well like there wasn't even any ammo for him to take a dislike to them he just seen them around in the area yes exactly so later on that day, the couple's daughter, Marilyn, would find her parents dead in their home. And two days later, on the 1st of November, Stephen would be arrested. And he would be arrested because it was Eric's actions that caused his arrest. So Stephen's bloody footprints would be found on both the wardrobe and, yes. the, cosh, and, and the cosh, which he'd left behind because it had fallen underneath Eric's body. So if Eric wouldn't have fought back, then there would be no link to Stephen. No, and it would have just been another house fire, right? Yes, exactly. So when Stephen was arrested, he told the police that he had committed another murder, that he had been hired to kill a drug dealer in Corsa Street. Do you remember that street? Yeah. I do find it very strange that he's volunteering the information that he's committed another murder, though. It's not your average confession, is it? Ask me, arrested. Ask, ask me that question again later and I'll be able to okay. answer why. Um, Will do. So when investigating this, because obviously the police had to investigate, if someone says, if a killer tells you I've killed it before, they have to investigate it. So the police could not find any evidence that that crime took place at all. But what they did uncover in their investigations, that he had lived in the street and rented a room out from Jemima. So this caused, do you remember Jemima who died in the house yep. fire? Yeah. So this caused a deep investigation and for them to determine that he had killed her, that it hadn't been an accident. Right, okay. So because of this... What an idiot, (laughs) in that case. Yeah. Now because of this, the police would go on to investigate similar fires that resulted in deaths in Blackpool and they were looking at a possible 10 other cases. Now while none of them came to anything, the net was widened to his past and cases were looked at from the Isle of Man, with several missing people cases being examined, along with the deaths of Marjorie and Dorothy that I mentioned earlier. Now, Dorothy's death with the fire was the same MO that he had used for Jemima, 
and Marjorie was killed in the same manner. So he would eventually be charged with five murders in the UK. But due to issues surrounding the Isle of Man and its jurisdiction, it was ruled that he couldn't be tried for those two murders in the UK. So they were dropped. But the Isle of Man authorities said they would pick up the cases with the potential to investigate them and charge him at a later date. Oh, wow. So while in prison on remand, he confessed to several other crimes of younger people in both Blackpool and the Isle of Man. Now, the police in both locations determined that he was making all this up, and they said that he was making it up to hide from the real motive of the murders that he did commit. Uh-oh. This, this answers your question. So, but just before I get onto that then, so the Isle of Man however, police, however, interestingly, because so one of the things he said, he said he killed someone, Mm-hmm. And he buried a body near a cliff top, along with a gun. Now, the Iron Man went to... I've never been to Iron Man, but they went to dig this place up. And they found a gun with his fingerprints on it, buried. Wow. But they didn't find a body. And they, the police said that it would have been impossible to bury a body there because there wasn't much soil depth because it was on top of a cliff. So while they believe, obviously, the gun was his because he had his fingerprints on it, he couldn't have buried a body there. It so did they, do you reckon at this stage they kind of thought he was just sensationalising his life? Like he'd been caught for one crime, why not mess no. around with the police? Like No, they thought he was doing this because by confessing to crimes of killing younger people, it hid his real motive that he killed people because they were old. <gasps> that was his motive. He said, why did he kill these people? If you remember, all the people he killed... 68, 72, 74, 76. Oh, God, I thought they were just being targeted because they were vulnerable, but he just hated old people. Yes. Now, it's been, by some commentators on true crime, it's been determined that because he was brought by his matriarchal grandmother, that he developed his fear of old people then. And remember at the very beginning, they said that he committed crimes against elderly people when he was start start at the age of 11, which is a year after he moved to the Isle of Man. Now, if that's true or not, I I do not know. But it it could be very plausible. I mean, I I don't know um, massive amounts about the Isle of Man, but what I do know is that there's an ageing population. So he was he must have been like a pig and shit over there, right? Yeah, like a pick and mix. But can I just say, like, it's one thing at eleven years of age to, you know, if I asked many eleven year olds right now, do you like your grandparents? They'd probably go, No, because, you know, grandma kisses me, you know, right near my mouth every time I go around a visitor and it's gross. And she's right? got a hairy chin. And that too, yeah. But a lot of them aren't going to have, like, disgust for them. They're just going to be, you know, a bit grossed out because they're, like, edging on teenage years. But for an 11-year-old to, like, see that as disgust and distaste for the elderly and then to grow and just go on to commit these crimes just because they're old, like, the fuck did he think was going to happen to him? Excuse my French. Yeah, true. You're growing old. We're all growing old, mate, if we're lucky. Don't forget, he was 20 years old when he got arrested, so... What a whopper. I know you said he had mental health issues, but what a whopper. Like, it's awful, awful. So while he was in prison waiting to go on trial, he admitted to a prison doctor, an Andrzej Roski, an Andrzej Roski V, an Andrzej (laughs) Roski, 
You haven't fun butchering these names today. Um, um, I'm obviously going to cut that out, Rachel, but yeah. And Andy <laughs> Roski. Keep them all in. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that he would, maybe I will, that he would lie in bed at night thinking about murder. Oh my God, wow. And he was placed in, in a segregation unit. Mm-hmm. In a prison in August of 1999, but he tried to overdose on prescribed medication, mm-hmm. so he wasn't successful. But he was put, as a result of that, in the prison's healthcare unit and put on a suicide watch. Now, while he was in there, he admitted that he fantasized about taking a female prison officer hostage, and then they found in his possession a sharpened toothbrush. So, oh dear, I know, yeah. He would later be transferred back to the segregation unit and put on suicide watch again. And on the 20th of August, 1999, the same month, just two days later, he was found hanging in his cell. He had made a noose with clothes and he'd be successful this time and he was dead. Wow. And so how old would he have been in 1999? He was 21 when he died. 21. Yeah. 20 when he'd taken into custody and 21 when he died. Now, he had written a suicide note which was found in his pocket. I'm not going to read it all because no. we are giving him too much attention there, but I am going to read parts of it. Mm-hmm. And he said this. Parts of it said, I couldn't take any more feeling like how I do now. Always wanted to kill. I know it's not right, always thinking like this, but it's always on my mind. I can't help the way I feel. What I did was wrong. I know that and I feel for them, but it doesn't mean I won't do it again. Wow. I'll keep on having this feeling I'm going mad because I can't take any more of this. And that's why I'm saying goodbye. So he he admitted it, basically. Yeah. I mean, on the one hand, you've got somebody that's, you know, kind of crying for help. I can't, I can't help but feel the way that I do. I know it's wrong, you know, and I'm going to take my life because I, I can't cope with how I feel because it is wrong and and going down that route but then on the other hand the people that suffered because of him and he gets to take the easy way out hey and you know end his life on his terms yeah so his girlfriend oh wow he had a girlfriend yeah it was he had girlfriends and boyfriends but um his girlfriend at the time had warned the forties that he would try and kill himself because he'd admitted to her, she stayed with him actually while he was oh, in wow. prison. But he'd admitted to her he couldn't face spending his life in prison. Wow. So I don't want to f- finish up by focusing on him, Rachel. No. So I want to end with a few quotes about his victims. So his first victim, Marjorie, if you remember from the Isle of Man, mm. she had a daughter, Carol. And Carol said this about her mum. She was a very quiet person and would never hurt anyone. She was quite trusting. She also said she also said this is what her mother thought about the Isle of Man after moving there. She thought it would be the safest place to be. Everyone trusts everybody. It's a small community. So obviously her mum was a little bit wrong there. Now finally, if you remember, Eric fought bravely for his wife because she didn't he didn't know she was dead already. Eric and Joe. And even though he couldn't save her, as it was too late in his back with, with Stephen, it was not in vain. Not only because it provided evidence to catch Stephen, but he was posthumously awarded the Civilian Medal of Honour for bravery. Oh. Because 
I know because his action is sorry because his actions were selfless because of his wife, but also they they led to Stephen being arrested. So and the police they said he, they were sure. Well, they said a couple of things. They said a they couldn't rule out that he had killed more old people, but they just because of the way he killed them. You got to remember Dorothy wasn't even ruled as suspicious until years later until they reinvestigated it. So they also said that, but they said that he, yeah, he would have carried on killing without a doubt if it wouldn't have been for Eric. Wow. What a lovely thing to end on. Very heartwarming for such a cold case. Like, Yeah, so it's interesting. I've wanted to do that case for a while and like he killed five people, potentially more. Five people that he admitted to. Yeah. So he definitely killed those five people. Yeah. Potentially more. Mm. And how many people know his name? Yeah. It may be difficult to pronounce, but you should still know his name. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, five people in, like, quite a modern case as well, you know. Yeah. Um, that's, that's a, you know, absolutely he should have got more kind of press and airtime on that um, for his name to be out there, but. It's strange, isn't it? You know, he's um, a young man from Nigeria. Maybe he doesn't fit that typical, like, British press, you know, case that's going to sell the newspapers. And we see it a lot with um, victims of crime, missing people. If you're not in that very minute demographic that's going to really sell the papers, you know, they, they don't report. Well, yeah, we've also got, I think, again, I keep mentioning it, but the episode is one of the ones that touched me the most. And the, these people weren't, and I don't say, I'm not saying this in a bad way, but these victims weren't young, white, blonde females, were no, they? No. And, and at the time, and maybe it's not so bad now, but it's still a little bit, that's what's old papers. Mm. Um, and it's just... It's just sad, but yeah. he, he was ended. I mean, his he was found and his killings stopped. Yeah, his killings pretty stopped. Yeah, I mean, like you say, though, especially if he hadn't fought back, these murders would have been... Oh, sorry, did you hear that? No. All right. If he hadn't fought back, these murders would have been, um, you know... Um, wrongful, not wrongful death, is it accidental death? Yes. Uh, you know, house fires and um, died in the sleep. You know, f- for some of his victims and potentially more future victims would have been like wrongly um, notified, wouldn't they? So. Yeah, exactly. Because if you think about it, if you strangle someone and then the body burns, the only evidence of the strangling has gone, hasn't it? Yeah. Gosh, gosh. What? Yeah, just for me, especially like you kind of pitched it there on that small island like for that to have gone um relatively unnoticed and you said that it didn't even um like it didn't obviously didn't get much airtime in the uk press but barely even in the isle of man press as well that's interesting as well and what's interesting is that he marjorie mm. she because obviously she, her house wasn't set on fire and it was determined she'd been strangled at the time he was arrested her murder was the only unsolved murder on the Isle of Man's books at that time. So you think it would be more like 
what we've got an unsolved murder here that's that solve this. Yeah, maybe it's a case of um, the police didn't know what to do. I wasn't quite sure what to do. A couple of head scratching moments. Not sure what to do here, John. Don't know, Jeff. What about you? <laughs> um, but yeah, it shouldn't shouldn't laugh. Um, you know, people no. have died, but yes. interesting case. Thank you for bringing it to us. And what I love about the cases that you write. Andrew, is there cases I've never heard of, so they're captivating. I tend to go mainstream, and after the episode, you'll say to me, oh, I hadn't heard the full story on that death before, but uh, no, I, I can't claim to know about the cases you bring, so I love it. Thank you. As much as you can love hearing that people have died. So for one last time, if it's safe to do so, I'd like all of you to relax, close your eyes, and picture the scene. You're in your home with the love of your life. And you think it's safe. You think that you're safe. But as you enter your bedroom, what's waiting for you? Okay, everyone. Thank you very much for listening. And we'll be back in two weeks' time. And hopefully we'll have some patron stuff up there within the next maybe two to four weeks as well. Nice. Thanks, guys. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.